Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In today's podcast, the president of Good Cities, Glenn Barth, is interviewing best-selling author and city coach Reggie McNeil. His latest book is Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. Today, we focus on the fifth of those practices, shaping a people development culture. This is Glenn Barth, the president of Good Cities, and I'm glad to welcome you again to another edition of the Good Cities podcast. We're continuing our series with Dr. Reggie McNeil on Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. In this podcast, we'll explore with Reggie his observation that Kingdom Collaborators exhibit great intentionality in shaping a people development culture around them. Reggie, what do you mean by this? Well, hey, Glenn, it's good to be with you on the podcast. And what I mean by that really is that the fundamental truth about reality is that people are built to last. Kingdom leaders get that. I mean, we've all uh, read books about companies that are built to last and uh, you know, sometimes we even think countries are built to last in churches, but the truth is uh, not even the cosmos is built to last, uh, but people are. And so when we invest in people, we're investing in um, eternal beings. I remember when our latest uh, grandchild was born and I held her for the first time, uh, I had that thought in my mind, I'm holding a creature that will never cease to exist. I mean, it's a magnificent thought, and it was just spellbinding. I think it was C.S. Lewis that says we've never dealt with a mere mortal. Um, I mean, people are forever, and so kingdom leaders make an investment that is quite uh, simply an eternal investment by making sure that the people around them are developing. Well, Reggie, I think that's incredibly exciting when you think about the notion that people grow and change throughout their lives. In one of the sentences you wrote in this, in this chapter, you weigh in that the key for creating a culture that supports people development is the conscious and constant awareness that developing people is the point. Well, this seems obvious to a lot of folks, but I suspect you want to comment on this. Well, I do, uh, because what I've discovered is that Kingdom uh, collaborators, kingdom co-conspirators with God just have on their uh, mind all the time the question of whether or not they are creating a culture around them where people can grow and develop. Now, it's pretty easy for other scorecards to come in. Bottom line, uh, you know, uh, results, uh, how many pounds of food we've shipped or what the bottom line is with the company this, this month or or whatever, and so it's 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 not unheard of that other kinds of scorecards trump people development. But with kingdom collaborators, uh, they actually have uh, they keep the scorecard um, very very prominent in their mind, constantly uh, monitoring. Are there uh, some key hallmarks or characteristics of cultures that focus on developing people, Reggie? Yeah, I think so. Um, It's been my, and and again, uh, different kinds of leaders serve in different kinds 
of uh, leadership positions and cultures, you know, all the way from church assignments to health, uh, you know, to public sector, to government. But there seem to be some uh, characteristics that span all of those leadership assignments that these leaders who are concerned about the people around them growing uh, just take into account. First of all, they have customized approaches. They don't think of everyone as a template, or let me say it another way, they don't lay a template of people development across everyone in their in their culture. Uh, they actually think about individuals, and they they work with individuals to create uh, a culture and an atmosphere and an environment that encourages their growth. I mean, my goodness, we're in an age of mass customization where we customize everything from our ringtones to you know, our, um, our our music selections to our online shopping preferences, our entertainment options. Well, the same thing works for people. We have to know that what works for John over here may be a very different kind of um, approach than what will work for Sally. And the savvy leader just knows that you can't customize those people development uh, approaches. I think a second characteristic is that people development cultures have cross-generational interaction. I mean, this is, uh, you know, in, in an age where we have marketed down to the, gosh, I mean, how many uh, left-handed people are in a zip code that are millennials, you know, who have freckles. I mean, well, our capacity now with big data to just segment, segment, segment uh, down to little tribes um, actually, when it comes to people development, we need input across generational lines. I mean, a lot of the clients I work with are churches, for instance, and the program church, unfortunately, has been, um, you know, <laughs> well, ha has taken an approach that has further segmented families. I mean, it's possible when families hit uh, church uh real estate that they splay into these generational cohorts and they don't have a single shared experience. Well, I think um, it, it's important that millennials uh, hear from seasoned uh, people in their, you know, uh, in other generations who have a little life wisdom behind them. Our children, for instance, do need older adults uh, to speak into their lives uh, to make contributions. And so in a people development culture, um, I think that kingdom collaborators are just very good at making sure that we have multiple generational input into how people are actually growing. I think another key thing that are important, um, is important is that in, when it comes to growing people, people grow through service. They don't grow into service. I mean, they kind of do, but I think kingdom collaborators don't think about, okay, I'm going to get people ready and finally deploy them into serving other people. I think kingdom collaborators understand that the quickest way for any of us to grow is to be engaged in serving other people. I mean, there's a reason Jesus says, you know, love your neighbors yourself, uh, right when he says love God with all your heart. I mean, it's through serving other people. And then gives an example, of course, of the Good Samaritan. I think it's through serving others that we grow into our best selves. Now, what's interesting about that, too, is as we work on bringing our best selves into service, um, then it, uh, it becomes a self-reinforcing truth. 
I think Reggie, to, you know, as you talk about yeah. as you talk about service here, I think uh, you know the last uh, point that you made about cross generational interaction and growing through service go hand in hand, don't they? Because this is a place where if a, if an older person is serving with a younger person or a younger person is is maybe a teenager serving with a, a kid from an elementary school, every generation begins to develop friendships when they serve side by side working on a project, don't they? You're exactly right. In fact, I can uh, just think of a couple of ministries here locally um, where I live that actually were started out of mission trips, church mission trips that were intergenerational uh, disaster relief teams. And um, and so, uh, in fact, one ministry I'm thinking of, uh, Homeworks here, uh, was started when the, the leader uh, went with his high school daughter uh, to Central America to repair roofs for people that had been displaced after a hurricane. And he, he got so jazzed by the experience, he came back and started Homeworks. Uh, they've helped pr- repair over 200 roofs, uh, 2,000 roofs here, I should say. Uh, with um, over 20,000 students that have come through over the past years now uh, and gone out to work on multiple sites during a week, uh, but all accompanied by older, often senior adults who've retired, who have the construction skills uh, that these younglings need to do a good job on repairing a roof. And just wonderful things happen in those kinds of contexts. Uh, I, I can tell you a number of pastors have said they're disaster relief teams that, you know, send off folks for all the way from, you know, 70s to, down to middle schoolers. Uh, they return, and some of these 16-year-olds are best buds with these 68-year-olds. It's just a, a wonderful way to, to fast-forward those, uh, those kinds of connections. Yeah, it's it's amazing what happens when uh, when those connections happen. I mean, I can see those younger persons. Uh, pulling out a, a smartphone on the journey and uh, and perhaps teaching a, an older person about a new app or uh, the smartphones all get put away when you're doing a construction project. Nobody wants to break the face of their smartphone while they're wielding a hammer up on a roof somewhere, right? So yeah. so they've got to they've got to deal then with the skills that the older person may have in construction that. The younger person to date just hasn't developed because they've focused elsewhere. Sure. And I've worked with a couple of youth groups that do what you're saying. Uh, they don't do it on the construction uh, site, but they do it at home where they'll have a, a tech day and they'll invite the senior adults to, you know, bring their technology. And, and these, uh, you know, eighth graders uh, will serve as a, a, a geek squad, you know, advisor. I don't know if I can use Geek Squad online because that's probably copyrighted by Best Buy or something. But but they, in effect, these kids become, uh, they do some reverse mentoring in the field of technology to these older folks. And then it's, it's, it's just wonderful friendships develop out of it. That's great. That's really great. There's a, another uh, characteristic that I see. You, you really could kind of sum it up that these people development cultures that kingdom collaborators construct around them are, are really focused on uh, coaching, uh, not so much telling, 
but they create an environment where people can get help as they're able to ask for help and then and get help at articulating their needs. Uh, but this coaching is is it goes beyond kind of the technical stuff we're talking about here, or more recently to just really life skills. So it's kind of life coaching. I mean, these kingdom collaborators have a life coaching context uh, around them where people are helping other folks uh, become the people, um, you know, that, that God wants them to be and that they, that they basically want to be. Um, you know, we, we've carried an assumption too long. I, I see this especially in uh, church discipleship programs that people grow mostly through curriculum or lectures or, uh, you know, some kind of class setting. It's kind of funny, isn't it, that we've adopted that approach when that wasn't Jesus' approach at all. I mean, Jesus basically said, follow me, and then he just drug folks, his disciples, through all kinds of experiences. Yes, he did some teaching, but then he always made sure he debriefed that teaching and um, and, and with them. But, but basically they were just thrown into situations where they said, well, hey, help us with this. You know, we couldn't cast out that demon. What's the deal? Uh, and I think it's important. Uh, kingdom collaborators just have their they're just always sensitive to creating those kind of environments around them and in bottom line it rests on a relational assumption I mean all of these key characteristics I mean uh, the the bottom line in every one of them is uh, the relational learning and even our neurologists now are telling us that in children um, as their brains develop uh, if these children are suffering from relational deficits, their brains aren't even forming um, at the level that they should be. This is why uh, I have so many of my clients, all the way from businesses to churches, to get involved in schools as mentors because anything you can do to fill in the relational gaps that a lot of our uh, children are growing up with these days actually stimulates their brain development it's that critical but it certainly is true in our um, in our emotional intelligence as well uh, we know people who are isolated uh, increasingly in our culture uh, that we need to, to target that and overcome it I mean it has everything from uh, pathological implications to criminal implications uh, when we find out that uh, folks who uh, perform heinous acts of, uh, you know, killing others and all that, when we dig into their past a little bit, it becomes obvious they're suffering from uh, a relational deficit. So kingdom collaborators just make sure that they are always developing a culture and an environment around them where relationships are forming. Reggie, in the context of, of relationship and the life-centric coaching, these last two points you've made, it strikes me that what's important is that uh, if, there, if there is any kind of curriculum that might be used, it's got to, it's got to focus on the development of that relationship. Uh, what I'm suggesting is that kingdom collaborators, these kingdom leaders, uh, yes. by and large, yes. they're just available to the people around them to help them with the life issues that they confront, and they don't consider that a distraction or a nuisance, they want to make sure that everyone around them can say at the end of the day, I'm better off because I've been around that leader, because that mm -hmm. leader has helped me grow and develop. 
and that scorecard right there is 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 critical and uh and I think that um it, it only it only comes with the focused attention and, and actually combating all other kinds of scorecards that get in our way. And it keeps those leaders, what separates these leaders, they don't just use people to get work done. You know, they use work to get people done. And uh, and, and that's that's just a critical difference that kingdom leaders bring to the table because they respect the fact that each person bears the image of God and each person is created for eternity, and each person uh, is worth the investment. Now, if you're running a company of 3,000 people, you're not going to be available at the same level uh, to all 3,000 people, but I'm talking about being available to the people in your constellation of influence uh, that count on you, including family, uh, business coworkers, uh, maybe you know people you play golf with or that you – uh, you know, having your book club. I mean, you know, it, it's just about we're just all, kingdom leaders just always have their antenna up uh, to making sure that the, that they're investing in the people around them. And I, and well, I think, Glenn, I want it's so important, really. Oh, it's 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 critical. I mean, when you think about it, it's all that matters at the end of the day because mm. people are built to last. Um, you know, recently we. Uh, and our listeners, of course, uh, no matter how long uh, after the event, but we all uh, were shocked at the burning of, of the cathedral uh, in Paris at Notre Dame. I mean, that sick feeling. Well, it's it's you know 800 you know plus years old, and um, and and as as tragic as that is, uh, it's going to one day burn up just like everything else. <laughs> but the people who worked yeah. on it. The people who worked on it, who built it, and the people who put this fire out this week, and the people who are going to be engaged in rebuilding it, they're going to all outlast that cathedral. And so life is what we're building. Um, and which brings me to the last thing I really want to talk about on our podcast today, and that is, you know, so if life is what we're building, you know, do we? Uh, I, I try to help people think about. Uh, with all the voices calling, you, calling on us to plan our lives, I prefer to help people think about preparing for the life that God has for them. I mean, planning assumes uh, that we know what's coming down the, the pike and, and, and literally most of the time just takes what we already know what to do and push it out into the future. Well, what if that's not working for us? I mean, you know, we may need some other kind of approach, that's why I talk to people about preparing. And by the way, I do believe that's a more biblical, and those aren't just semantics. You know, uh, you know, God does the planning. We do the preparing. I mean, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And after all, John the Baptist is not out there uh, screaming in the wilderness, plan the way of the Lord. It's, you know, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and the Israelites couldn't possibly know uh, on that uh, night in Egypt and Passover, what was about to happen, but they and they couldn't plan the Exodus, but they sure could prepare for it. And God gave them some specific instructions. You know, uh, throw some blood on the doorpost. You know, re watch for the email pack. Uh, you know, be ready to go. And uh, and so I like to think about helping people prepare for uh, the life that's uh, headed their direction. 
So if I could, Glenn, I'd like to just kind of mention five components, I think, that are critical for preparing for life. Go for it. I think the first one is vision. There has to be some direction that uh, we believe. And I'm not talking about whether our listeners have a life vision statement that's already planned out all the way and has been worked on. Um, I'm I'm talking about a basic posture that says, hey, I, I at least know the direction I'm headed. I know the next chapter. You know, I've been able to noodle this through uh, with with God and with the people around me, and this is what I think. You know, the next phase of my life is going to be engaged in. And um, now, what I've discovered over time is that when people look back across their lives, especially older leaders that I work with, we do see vision has chapters, but the the long arc trajectory. If it's a well, I mean, if we've been able to get with God and, and get his feel for what our life is about, there's a common thread that runs through all those chapters, and we're positioned uh, to just live out that life vision over time. I don't think someone in their 20s necessarily has that clear, but certainly by our 60s. And the challenge I find is sometimes I work with people in their 50s and 60s they're still waiting to figure out what they're going to do when they grow up. Uh, and, and my point is, I think that there is some common call to our lives that we've been able uh, to distinguish. Uh, it may be, and, and clues to that might be something that breaks our heart or the stuff that gets our heart racing, some need that really tugs at us, uh, or some life vocational calling that we are pursuing. I think a second component out of these five is values. Uh, A lot of times when I'm doing um, consulting with individuals and with organizations, we have to check the vision-value alignment. I mean, if your car is out of line, it just wears out your tires. Uh, And I find that a lot of people's lives are just kind of worn out from not having appropriate vision-value alignment. And what I mean by that is the values gets at what are the behaviors what adjustments do I need to make to support the vision of my life that I want to pursue? Now, those, that, those behaviors may include time alteration or money alteration or even job changes or uh, a movement to a certain area or, or whatever, but if we don't make the necessary behavioral adjustments or life circumstance adjustments to match our vision, then those dreams, that vision just really can become a nightmare uh, and, and, the, and the enemy of our soul who doesn't want us to realize that dream for our lives, uh, we'll just use that like a club to, with guilt and all kinds of, of things that, you know, that, that just disappoint us and discourage us. I think a third factor that's really important in uh, preparing our lives rather than playing them is, you know, what the, the scorecard is. How are we going to know that we're making progress? Uh, and I can tell you that uh, if, we, uh, if we don't have some kind of scorecard that encourages us along the way, uh, we're, we're not going to stay in the game over time. I mean, it just if you take the backboard uh, of a, in a basketball game and you take the, the you unscrew the hoop, and, and all you're doing is running up and down the board, just throwing the ball up against the backboard. That doesn't 
increase, you know, that doesn't really help people over time stay in the game. So every leader that I'm working with, every person that we talk about their lives, we have to think about, you know, the scorecard of what it is or what it is they want to celebrate uh, so that it keeps them in the game. Is it celebrating the fact that, you know, this child that I'm mentoring is now, you know, uh, past uh, his uh, third grade reading test at a third grade level or, or whatever it is that keeps us at it? I think, too, uh, a fourth out of what I call five elements here, a fourth one is uh, that we play to our strengths. We don't necessarily get that message from our culture. We typically get a message from our culture, you need to fix this, you're not very good at this, and we spend a lot of time preparing potholes, um, whereas if you want to build a road somewhere, figure out what you've got in your backpack, whether it is, you know, you use instruments to help you do that, like a, a strengths finder from Gallup, or you have friends that give you uh, honest feedback that say, you know, you're really good at this, or colleagues at work that can give us 360 feedback. This is when you're shining the most or, you know, I mean, just whatever makes you feel most alive. I mean, I would pay attention to that. Uh, I mean, when Eric Little says, uh, you know, um, God made me for a purpose, China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I mean, uh, that, that sense of celebration, running, I mean, just uh, enabled him to do all kinds of magnificent things in the Olympics, as well as fulfill his life dream of being a missionary to China. I mean, there are things I do that when I do them, uh, you know, I feel, you know, most especially alive. I'm thinking about really going through a buffet line. I'm pretty jazzed about that. So when I eat, <laughs> I feel his pleasure. And so, uh, but that, that keeps me at it. And then the last thing that I would say on this long, uh, you know, recitation of five key elements about life preparation is that you, you kind of need to know what else it is that you need to know. Um, I mean, some of the most frustrating leaders I work with are folks that don't know what they don't know and don't seem to be wanting to know what they don't know. But everyone that I'm working with and have through the years that really is positioning their lives for whatever it is God wants to give to them and comes their way, uh, they're, they're always in a learning posture. All of the people that I know that are really positioning their lives for great influence are always on some learning track. It, and it may involve unlearning some things like biases or prejudices or preformed notions or ways of doing things that used to work. And they, uh, but, but the learning curve and the unlearning curve can often be steeper than the learning curve. But, but at least every leader I know that is, uh, preparing for the life God has for them is is tucking some more stuff into their backpack that they feel like that they really need to make the journey. I mean, we've all heard it uh, before that we don't know what we don't know, but I, I can tell you the leaders I work with uh, kind of do. <laughs> and, and they've put themselves, whether it's through classroom or or uh, making time with people who do have the skill that they are looking for or the insight that they're looking for, they're importing that learning into their uh, their lives so that they can pursue that next chapter. So I think yeah. if, to be prepared for life, we've got to pay attention to our vision, our values, what we celebrate, our strengths, and our learnings. You're right, Reggie. I mean, we think about how important these five areas can be 
Um, and, you know, I keep revisiting these five areas throughout my life, it seems like, and throughout my yeah. working life as well. Is, is that true of, of these uh, kingdom collaborators, that they keep revisiting vision, values, results, strengths, and learning? Yes. It is, it is not a one and done. I mean, th- this is a posture that you take, and you're always making sure I mean, the vision has chapters. It may not be that the vision has to be revisited every day, but over time, the rhythms of their life make sure that uh, these leaders make sure that they are in a preparation mode because we can't plan life, but we can be prepared for it uh, no matter what comes. Wow. Well, Reggie, thanks again for... This section, this session of our podcast with uh, Good Cities. If you want to get hold of Reggie or me, you can reach us here at info at goodcities.net. I feel like we're learning so much uh, about what it means to be a kingdom collaborator in this series of podcasts, and uh, we'd be happy to interact with you anytime about this in your life, your ministry, or uh, or even if you're if you're leading uh, something big in your city. We'd love to serve you. So uh, feel free to contact us at info at goodcities.net. And we hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast and uh, you know continue to tune in from time to time when we put these weekly podcasts out there. We hope you'll pick up on them and incorporate some of the things that uh, you're learning as you listen. And uh, Reggie, thanks again for this podcast. I feel like this has been a very important one. Great. Thanks, Glenn. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net.